Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the One and D podcast. I'm your host Vikash Singh, and I am joined by my co-host Sagar. And today we're going to be talking about the most one-sided trades in baseball. Uh, I mean, we only have what six total. So if this goes well, maybe we'll make it a little series. Yeah, I mean, we really only have six, and some of them will show our like biases. Spoiler alert: We're Rays fans, but you know we can talk about some like old ones that you know involve like Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, and like bring those back just for like like a cool fun fact. For sure. And then how about we just jump right into it? You want to start with your first trade? Oh uh, yeah, sure. <clears throat> I'll go with my first one. Um, I think yours will be a little more recent than mine, but I can just go with this trade that occurred in two thousand nine. And it was between the Blue Jays and the Phillies. Do you know who I would be talking about? Oh, only the greatest pitcher of all time. Yes, sir. That would be Roy Halladay. Rest in peace. Oh, I love. Rest in peace. I also love Randy Johnson. So just a little bit of a, like, foreground to this. I'm not really that big of a baseball guy in terms of knowing all these people. So in my judgment, if I don't know the player's name, he's a trash player. So... This is how I'm going to break down the trade, okay? So the Blue Jays <laughs> traded away. No, actually, yeah, the Blue Jays traded away Roy Halladay, who was, like, the face of their franchise. And in return, they got Kyle Drebeck, who's, like, a pitching prospect. I don't know his name now, so I guess he's trash. Then they got Travis D'Arnaud, um, who, fun fact, is playing on the Rays right now. He's a catcher. Um, he's on the Braves now. He's on the – okay, that's breaking news for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, he sucked, too, because I went to, like, two games and, like, he didn't do well, so he sucks. And then Michael Taylor. He was Taylor, great last season. Hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> Michael Taylor was the <laughs> third guy they got. Again, I don't know who that is. Apparently, he's really fast and he's an outfielder. Uh, good luck to Michael him in Taylor was Michael Taylor was a was an all-star. He was a great player um, oh, okay. <clears throat> for the Braves, but, like, not to the level of one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Exactly. So, essentially, those three players who... I severely do not like, just based off my knowledge of baseball. In <laughs> in return, the Phillies got Roy Halladay, right? And so he was on the Phillies for four total years. And in those four years, the first two on the team were the most impactful, right? So in 2010 and in 2011, wins are not you know that indicative of how good a pitcher is nowadays. But again, he recorded 21 and then 19 wins. So pretty high in the win column there. Along with that, he finished first in the Cy Young like race in 2010. And again, he was an all-star, and then he finished sixth in the MVP voting. And then he followed that up, again, being an all-star, finishing second in the Cy Young race. And then again, he was rated ninth for the MVP. So essentially, you got this amazing pitcher who could give you, on average, 20 wins a year with a really good ERA under 2.45. Over both years, 2.44 in 2010 and 2.35 in 2011. And so I think that caliber of a pitcher, getting him for, like, players who eventually went on to other teams, along with, you know, someone like me and Julian, I don't know who they are, I think that's, like, a really lopsided trade, especially given the fact that Roy Halladay had a Cy Young in him, and then he finished second in the Cy Young, and he was, you know, an all-star and an MVP candidate. So for those reasons, I think... This was a pretty fairly lopsided trade for the time. Oh, definitely. And you can't forget what he brought to the team. As he had that perfect game. He had that postseason no-hitter, which was almost a perfect game. Those are some amazing performances that alone, those two performances alone outweigh what the Blue Jays got in return. <laughs> yeah. With the, Admittedly, Dorno, he was not very good uh, until he was with the Rays. He... I think was he was a, in the minor leagues, right? He was. He was a top prospect as well. And uh, I believe he got traded to the Mets afterwards. And he was very highly rated, but it just never came together. But then on the Rays, he just broke out. And um, from there, he parlayed that into a great contract with the Braves. And, you know, hope the best for him. Uh, Michael A. Taylor, speed demon in the outfield, great defender and in his peak years, he was a great batter too, but I don't remember him doing much for the Blue Jays. I remember him mostly for his time with the Braves. And then, don't even remember the third guy you said. Trebek? Uh, <laughs> Alex Trebek? Uh, I think he's hosting Jeopardy. Uh, Kyle Drobek with a Kyle D. Kyle Drobek. Okay. Yeah, again, I, I mean, I feel 
So. I've heard Drebeck. Maybe it's his son now. I don't know. But uh, I've heard that name. Maybe he's a coach now. Oh, it could uh, be. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree with that. That is a definitely a lopsided trade. Yeah, for sure. You want to go on with yours? Let's do it. My first trade is between the Padres and the White Sox. It was James Shields for Eric Johnson and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, complete game James is what we called him here in Tampa Bay because oh, yes, he was sir. a stud. He was an enti- he was a stud his entire career with the Rays. He even wa- went to the World Series with them, and he was a big part of that team. I mean, Rays- uh, just a fun fact. Um, I don't know if you remember. I mean, you remember this, but. Uh, for me, James Shields was the first professional athlete I got an autograph from because uh, locally in St. Pete, we were at some event <clears throat> and he happened to be there and he was a super nice dude, super receptive and, you know, got an autograph photo with him. So that really like being young at the time, like he was one of my favorite pitchers and he was like a really good role model at the time. And being my first autograph, he like really holds a special place in terms of like my rankings in terms of my favorite players. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of James Shields. I remember that day at Great Explorations, I think it was. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Great Explorations. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, it was a good time back in the day. Uh, so he's obviously still a great person. Uh, and the Rays parlayed his stellar career with the team into a great trade in its own right, but Shield actually, Shields actually performed uh, after that trade because he was traded from the Rays to the Royals, uh, I believe the Will Myers trade. Um, and that led... And he led the Royals to a World Series in 2014, uh, which they would lose to basically Madison Bumgarner alone. Um, and then also because James Shields lost his two starts in the World Series, but we're not going to talk about that. He became a free agent after that World Series, so he never got to win a ring with the Royals because the Royals won the World Series the following season. Um, but the Padres actually signed him to a pretty lucrative deal. Uh, I think it was $75 million over four years with a fifth-year option. So he was very highly touted. I mean, he was seen as the guy, the ace on a team that went to the World Series. And so he signed that deal in 2015, and then the Padres swindled, absolutely swindled the White Sox by trading him in 2016 for Eric Johnson and Fernando Tatis Jr., what made this trade so one-sided was the steep fall of James Shields, unfortunately. I mean, he was a he was getting up there in age, uh, but not only was it the steep fall of James Shields, but it was the meteoric rise of Fernando Tatis Jr., but we'll get on Tatis later. Uh, Shields pitched pretty decently for the Padres in his lone season with the team, but when he came to Chicago, it seemed like his command had left him, and he's known as a guy who was, you know... Uh, a great pitcher because of his command. He didn't throw a super crazy fastball. I think it was usually in like the 90 to 94 range. But his whip and ERA, it had boomed almost immediately uh, when he went to the White Sox and he kind of looked like a shell of his former self. And I feel bad because all metrics just pointed him to be like the worst pitcher in the MLB at the time. However, I will say his 2018 campaign, his final one, with the White Sox, actually wasn't half bad. Uh, And it was a decent season to end his career on. And I feel like people just give him such a bad rap because of how good Fernando Tatis Jr. has been. And honestly, he might have just been a victim to the juice balls. I'll always remember him for his great command with his fastball and changeup. That's that's the James Shields I know, and that's why he got that $75 million contract. But 2018 was his last season. Uh, They didn't pick up his uh, fifth-year option, and then... I think he just retired. But going on to the players the Padres got, Eric Johnson, you know, the obvious steal of the deal. Not. Uh, he didn't really do anything in the majors. Actually, he was demoted to AAA after the trade, and then when he was called up, he went 0-4 with a 9.15 ERA. <clears> you you actually starts. tricked me there. I was like, hey, is this, I, I don't know who Eric Johnson is, so I, just, <laughs> I assumed he was good, but okay. No, I mean... Uh, he's had an unfortunate career. He had <clears throat> he had Tommy John, and then ever since, he just hasn't been in the majors. But, I mean, man's made his money, I suppose. The golden boy of the trade is Fernando Tatis Jr. This man is the face of the Padres now, and he is only 21 years old. He's younger than the both of us. And he is the next phenom. He is the next Mike Trout-type player 
I'm not saying he'll be as good as Mike Trout because that is an unrealistic expectation because Mike Trout is the greatest player of all time. Yeah, for a second I was like, that is blasphemous, but okay, you, you, <laughs> you checked yourself. But you know what I mean. Like, he will be the pe- the person that people will tune in to watch. He's truly – and it's, I find it extremely strange that the White Sox would trade him be- before they even got a chance to see what he was all about because they traded him without e- him even playing a game. They signed him uh, as an international ag- free agent – and I think he was 16 years old at the time. And it's not as if the White Sox were particularly competitive at the time. It's not like they needed a pitcher to get over the hump. I mean, I guess they were close to 500 every season, but like always under it. They were a 70-win team usually, uh, to my memory. So why did they want James Shields so bad? I'm not sure. I predicted the White Sox, I think, in our previous podcast to win their division this season. But having Tatis, oh my goodness, that just put him over the hump. You know what I mean? Uh, and imagine him manning short. I mean, no disrespect to Tim Anderson, who's uh, he just won the batting title. Um, he doesn't walk very much, though. But, hey, he he gets hits, and he's entertaining to watch. I love his bat flips. Um, but with Tatis, man, they'd be undeniable contenders. So to kind of explain how good Tatis has been, He played just 84 games last season because he was injured, but he was absolutely electric. You would watch the Padres just to watch what Tatis would do. His, like, on-the-base running, his power, his speed, everything is just ah, so entertaining to watch. And so, again, he played 84 games, and in those 84 games, he had 22 home runs and 53 RBI while batting 317. In 84 games, he had a war of 4.2. Some players don't have that war in their entire careers. And yet this man just had it in his first season in half a season. He did strike out quite a bit and he could probably do to get uh, his bat, uh, on-base percentage up a little bit. But that's just me trying to nitpick on a 21-year-old's first season in the major leagues. So it does seem as though the White Sox found that generational talent and then traded him for three years of absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty terrible. Um, for Tatis, what do you think his, like, most valuable asset would be? Like, is it as his... As like, is offense it his or defense? Offensively. Would you say it's his strength at the, like, plate? Or do you say he's, like, pretty smart with base running? Or what What do you say, like, what's the must-watch factor of him? Is it just his total game? It's his total game for sure. I don't know if he's smart on the base paths. He is very daring on the base paths, I'll say. Um... But, hey, some of his steals are amazing. He stole home last season. That uh-huh. was fun to that, watch. That's pretty rare. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's definitely going to be his bat. He's a shortstop. And so these days, shortstops are just crazy powerful and athletic. Uh, but I'll say mostly it's his bat because that's where the longevity is going to come. He's a bigger guy. Uh, I don't know if he'll play shortstop for his entire career. But, I mean, uh, he's definitely good enough to push Manny Machado out of shortstop, even though Manny only wants to play shortstop. So uh, he'll be fun to watch, and it'll definitely be his bat that will carry him his whole career. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure, that seems like they basically got a steal in that trade. And, uh, I mean, it's a shame what happened to James Shields, but, you know, uh, just reality. As you get older, you're going to decline. So no surprise there. Yeah. All right, I'll move on to my next trade. Um, I'm going to have you guess again. So it was in 2006 and it was between the Rays and the cheating team, the Astros. The Rays and the Astros. 2006. Oh, six. Hey, the Astros got Aubrey Huff. Ah, the racist. Was he, was he racist? Oh yeah. I think, uh, there was some controversy about him recently too, where he wasn't invited to something. I I may be confusing him. So, the Giants are having their 10-year World Series reunion uh, for the 2010 World Series. Uh, They'll have another one in their 2012 World Series (laughs) and the 2014 World Series. But uh, he was actually the lead bat on that team. He was the best batter on the team, and he wasn't invited because of what he said. He's pretty racist. He's pretty homophobic. He's pretty sexist. And a lot of Republicans are trying to spin it as if it's because he's Republican, but all the other Republicans have been invited, Madison Bumgarner to name one. And so that's just 
that's just a reach. It's because he's just been such a strange character online, and I don't blame the Giants for not wanting him around that organization at all. He's kind of done his time, and he's obviously, I don't know, maybe, he, did he play football? He's got a little CTE in him. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I remember one exchange on Twitter I saw, which was really funny, where he was complaining about like this generation having participation trophies. Going off on a little tangent here, but then someone pulled up his stats like <laughs> during those World Series runs, and it was like, oh for two at the plate because he barely played, and he you know gets a ring. So I found that funny, hmm. like a little revenge there. But yeah, that is funny. So yeah, you can't say st- that sort of stuff on Twitter, man. People will dig stuff. <laughs> up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Rays again geniuses for trading away this racist. Allegedly, yes. I don't want to be sued. <laughs> and they got in return the GOAT, my favorite player on the Rays for his entirety of him being there, Ben Zobrist. So they, ah, yeah. that is a pretty one sided yeah, trade. Very, I love Ben that's Zobrist. That's a very one sided trade. So Ben Zobrist, you know, earlier in his career, especially when, he's, when he was on the Rays, um, I was really, you know, entrenched in like looking at statistics and stuff i was much more heavily invested in the game than i am right now and i always like remember him being so underrated i think at some point they had like a statistic and he was like the most underrated player in baseball and you know eventually that changed obviously but his entire thing to mention with the rays is that they were so ahead of their time in terms of analytics exactly that sort so that they had players like ben zobers that were underrated at the time but players like him now are so are getting paid so much they're they're known because of the advent of analytics and how much team teams value it now i mean yeah for sure and i guess it's just a testament to how successful they were and you know them having the world series run in 08 uh ben zobers was definitely a contributing factor he's a reason they were so good over the you know from 2008 to like 2013 2014 is when he unfortunately left um i don't know the details about that trade but over his... He went to go win a World Series yeah. with the Royals, and then he left the Royals to go win a World Series with the Cubs. Wherever he goes, World Series follows. That's all I got to say. Yeah, dude. He's, he's the GOAT. Um, so, yeah. His tenure over the Rays, you know, shaky start in the beginning. His batting average was not so great. Uh, 2007, his batting average was actually 155. He only played 31 games, but, you know, pretty, pretty average. But, you know, the Rays didn't give up. And eventually, you know, he went on to bat averages like 297. I see a 275 in there. Career average is 260. He's had some pretty decent seasons lately, too. I think in 2018, he batted 305. And he played 139 games, so still consistently good. And one of the things I loved about Ben Zobrist was that he was like a jack-of-all-trades. I remember going to the games, and it was always exciting to see which position he was going to play next. At some point, I used to joke with my friends, like, he's going to play pitcher and catcher at the same time. Because, like, <laughs> he was, like, such, like, the perfect utility knife. You could plug him, plug him in anywhere. And given Madden being a genius of a coach, you know, he utilized him to his full extent. And, you know, he was an all-star for a few seasons. He definitely should have been an all-star for more seasons than he was. I think that just due to, you know, our fan base not being that that big and the all-star being kind of a popularity contest and him being underrated. So those all three like factors probably combined to not give him as many all-stars as he deserves. Um, He did, you know, finish in the MVP race eighth in 2009. And I think, yeah, that's the year he batted 297 so close to 300. And, you know, he overall, he's just an amazing player. And the fact that we got him back in 2006 for Aubrey Huff, who essentially fell off. I don't remember him doing too much after the trade. Um, yeah, he, he barely played. His averages were low. He batted. I don't even remember him <clears throat> on the Astros, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, so after 2006, I don't even think he ended up... He ended up on the Astros, but immediately went to Baltimore for two years. <clears throat> so the Astros gave away one of the best utility players, one of the most underrated players for like that five, six year span for Aubrey Huff, who they didn't even keep. So that was definitely a really lopsided trade. And there's a big bias here because Ben Zobrist is probably my favorite, my most favorite Ray of all time. 
And so, yeah, I think that's a very lopsided trade, and the Rays definitely pulled a fast one on the cheaters. And I think one reason why Ben Zobrist was so criminally underrated is because of the power statistics, because that was all the rave back when he was playing. He didn't hit those crazy home run numbers. He was decent at him, but he wasn't amazing. In juice ball era, he probably is going to be he's fine. I mean, if he were if he were in his prime during the juice ball era, I think he'd be an all-star every single season just because he'd be hitting dingers. He'd be getting on base more. He'd be having that high average. Um, but yeah, he didn't really bring in those runs. He didn't hit those homers, but he'd always be on base. He'd always set people up. He was a great uh, guy to, you know, put one or two and then Evan Longoria would come in and then hit him right in. So it's like Ben Zorber's impact to the race was immense. And, you know, the fact that he's still so many people's favorite players to this day. And, you know, it just shows how good he was on the team. I mean, yeah, and just on the fact about the on-base percentage, like over the 10-year span, I don't see him being a tick below 350 except for one season when he was 346 right so he's consistently good uh consistently valuable and the Rays definitely stole one from the Astros definitely but I'll move on to my second trade go for it which in some vein it it was like the Rays worst nightmare it was between the Athletics and the Blue Jays. You don't really see the Athletics making bad trades. They're like they're much like the Rays. They try to offload their good talent uh, while they can. But this one just didn't make sense from the get-go. It was Josh Donaldson for Brett Lowry, Kendall Graveman, Sean Nolan, and Franklin Barreto. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't know any of those last four people. Nope. But I know you know Josh Donaldson. I definitely know Josh Donaldson. <clears throat> like I said, this was such a strange trade from the jump because Josh Donaldson had just come off a season where he finished eighth in MVP voting. And Billy Bean, always be trying to think ahead, he traded him while he was piping hot. But it did not seem like he got any sort of good haul. And that was evident literally immediately. Because I remember when the Blue Jays got Donaldson, I felt like they got a steal. I was like, why didn't the Rays do this? The Rays could have easily gotten Josh Donaldson for even better. Like, the just giving up some decent player for Josh Donaldson, it seems, would have been enough. Um, but I guess Billy Bean saw something with these players. Maybe his eyes got worse over the years. But with the Blue Jays, he made such an immediate impact that he messed around and won an MVP in his very first season with the team. <laughs> And then I don't think they made the playoffs that season. Um, but I personally think Mike Trout should have won that MVP. But I mean, I digress. I think Mike Trout should win the MVP every season because he is the GOAT. Uh, he should have won the MVP when Miguel Cabrera had a triple crown. That's how good Mike Trout was. Uh, anyway. Uh, but he did. He, he led the Blue Jays to the playoffs uh, in his second season, I believe, where they looked pretty promising. I think they made it to the ALCS and they fell short um, to the Indians and I think the Indians got swept after that. Um, but I still remember Edwin Encarnacion uh, in the wild card game that year. He had a walk-off home run, and, man, pissed me off, but it was also really cool because it's Edwin Encarnacion, and I think they were playing the Orioles too. Um, but, yeah, that was the that was the year the Indians advanced to the World Series, and they lost. But it seemed as if the Blue Jays were getting over this hump. It seemed as if the Blue Jays were actually going to capitalize on the promise that they always seem to have. And in his first three years with the Blue Jays, I believe he only played four with three and a half with the Blue Jays anyway, Donaldson racked up over 110 home runs while batting around 290 every single season. And in those three seasons, he brought in exactly 300 RBI combined. Oh my God. And that's, uh, man. yeah, those are three great seasons. <laughs> And then in the middle of his fourth season, they traded him away and didn't really get much in return, but that's because he was going to be a free agent right after. And I believe they traded him to the Indians, <laughs> funny enough. Um, and the Indians only got like half a season out of him before he became a free agent and went to the Braves, I believe. I uh, may be wrong. Um, but as for the players that the Athletics got, they didn't accomplish much of anything. 
while Josh Donaldson was over in Toronto uh, bringing down the rain, the A's prized possession in the trade, Franklin Barreto, was still in the minors. And so, you know, sometimes these trades take a while to, uh, you know, show the fruits of their labor. But he's now played in three seasons. He's 24, and he has been used pretty sparingly, especially for someone who is seen as a centerpiece of such a huge trade at the time. His best season was 2018, but his stats, oh man, they were, he hit 233 with an on-base percentage of 253. Okay, that's pretty bad. (laughs) And he hit five home runs and 16 RBIs. How many games did he play? So he only had 69 plate appearances total. Um, nice. And he's still young. He has plenty of. T- <laughs> he's still young. He has plenty of time to develop. Uh, but you know, it's kind of strange how the centerpiece of a trade just hasn't produced so far, and he's had his chances. Now, I will say this season, I do believe he has his best chance of actually starting. He's never been a starter yet. He's mostly been like a base runner, a defensive specialist. Um, but Jed Lowry is not now gone. I think they just traded Jerks and Profar. And so that middle infield is open for uh, Barreto to try and, you know, it, it might be his time to shine. And he's also run out of minor league options, so I think that'll help him stay in the majors. So we'll see what he can do. He's 24. There's plenty of people who have, you know, blossomed after that age. I mean, I think... Aaron uh, Aaron Judge came up when he was 26, 27. So I'm like, he's got time, you know? But right now, he hasn't looked good at all. Uh, and there's no signs of him looking good at any time in the near future. Maybe they need to get some trash cans in the dugout. Uh, the A's also got Brett Lowry, who essentially at the time was kind of a throw-in because Billy Bean wanted someone to man the hot corner after Donaldson uh, left. And so he's like, all right, throw in Billy, um, throw in Brett Lowry, and we have we have a deal. And so they threw him in, and he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great either with the A's. He stuck around for just one season, and then they shipped into the White Sox for two prospects that I couldn't even tell you. Uh, in his in his only season with the A's, he hit 260, and he hit 16 home runs over 149 games. Not good, not bad. Um, I mean, that's pretty but serviceable. Like, he's a serviceable It's serviceable, guy. right? Yeah. But, like, for trading away a guy who just won, I mean, who was just, who just finished eighth in the MVP voting, then you go to Brett Lowry the next season, it's like, uh, why did we even have to trade him, right? And so you also expected a little bit more from Lowry just because he had this sort of, not, even, not to say pedigree, but it seemed as if he had promise. But uh, the White Sox released him in 2017, so a year after and the uh I don't think he's been in the league ever since which is kind of perplexing to me he is not bad he's just not good you know what I mean yeah I mean sometimes it just just like average yeah but again when you're trading away elite for average that's definitely lopsided exactly plus I think so um, just to chime in here I think sometimes when you're using sabermetrics, maybe you go too overboard with the analytics. And when you have such a valuable asset, maybe you're thinking that these people who you've clearly analyzed, there's something there, right? Uh, And maybe they didn't really know that maybe the metrics were pointing to Donaldson not continuing on his trajectory. Who knows? And in that time, those times require more discretion. Like, I guess, like from an eye test, in my opinion, not solely like, analytical and maybe sometimes analytics messes up and you know that just reality i honestly don't think it was a problem with the analytics josh donaldson was in his prime when they traded him and then the players that they traded for i mean they had a little promise but even at the time it just did not seem like a good trade and usually at the time it's like oh maybe like uh, maybe it's a, a okay trade. I mean, this guy looks good. This guy looks like he has promise. But at that time, nobody thought it was a good trade at all. And I don't think you can go overboard with sabermetrics. I think you can misinterpret it. I And maybe the athletics did that. I just think it was Billy Bean. I'm not saying he isn't 
the GM that he used to be. That is what I'm saying, actually. He <laughs> okay. didn't evaluate these players well at all. I think their scouting needed to change. I think maybe they did change overhaul their scouting afterwards, but th- it just didn't make sense. And Donaldson had more years on the plate uh, on his contract with the um, athletics, so I don't know why they rushed to trade him after an eighth-place MVP they could have gotten su- and the the rankings of the prospects weren't even high either so it's it it just didn't make sense at all if you look at what the red Sox just got for mookie bets i mean you're comparing apples to oranges at that point plus the fact but, that mookie bets is on an expiring deal so the dodgers have to sign him long term exactly and so it kind of proves players are willing to trade for a part, like one year of a MVP caliber player. Uh, especially if that Josh Donaldson was on the athletics. There's not much, much opportunity when you're on the athletics to bring in RBIs. Uh, not saying that they're bad, just saying that at the time they weren't, though they weren't a team that you feared. And uh, except when Josh Donaldson came to bat. Uh, I mean, I'm, they were a decent team, obviously, but like, you know. When you go to a team like the Blue Jays, who had more help, then you're like, okay, Josh Donaldson will be a better, even better player on this team. But um, the last two players in that trade, Kendall Graveman has not been good at all. His ERA last season was 7.60 oh my with a 1.66 whip. I mean, he only played seven games. But there's a reason he only played seven games, if you know what I'm saying. And then the final piece was Sean Nolan, and didn't even hear. I don't know who this guy is. Not no disrespect to Sean. Um, Sean's but, probably a good guy. Yeah, I'm sure he's fine, but not in Major League Baseball because <laughs> uh, right after the trade, I think he was put on waivers and he's a free agent. And so, oh, he. No, just kidding. He made six starts with the A's in 2015. Gave up 17 runs in. 29 innings nice dude that's really good (laughs) i mean hey he's a major league baseball player we can't say that but when comparing him to the rest of the field he has not been great so best of luck to sean but you're trash (laughs) (laughs) why you gotta take it out on sean man i don't know man i just i'm just annoyed that the blue jays got such a good player for absolutely nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a really terrible trade it coincided with a time when the Rays were not good as well, so it's like, Just man, it's really annoying. Mm-hmm. I feel that. And Josh Donaldson was a big reason. <laughs> I feel like I tuned out baseball for like five years, basically when they were trash. So, <laughs> was, unfortunately, the Rays are never trash. I, take I that stuck back. around. <laughs> no, those years they were trash. I will say. Uh, I think it's because I mean, those were such strange years. When you think of the AL East, you always. You know, most people will think Yankees, Red Sox, but the Rays are always up there. The Rays are always contenders. The Rays are always a team to mention, even though they have that low salary cap. But those years were the years, I think, so the the wild card game, like I said previously, was the Blue Jays versus the Orioles. <laughs> those are teams you don't really expect in the wild card game often. So, like, you know, it's it's kind of a bizarro world when those two teams are, you know, having promise. Um but, hey, that being said, the Blue Jays look good this year. The Red Sox might be bad. The Yankees are going to be good. The Rays are going to be good. This is going to be another competitive division besides the Orioles. Yeah, well, Orioles trash. I think we agree. Oh, yeah. I think everyone should agree mm-hmm. on that. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on from that, I'll focus on my last trade. This is an interesting one. It's an old one, actually. It's nothing recent. So this trade occurred in 1987. Do you, sir, know a man named Doyle Alexander? I have no recollection of a man of that name. Well, I heard from him the first time when I was doing research for this podcast. So, <laughs> Well, the Detroit Tigers uh, acquired him from the Braves. And the Braves ended up getting some double-A pitcher. He was a righty. Some random guy. His name was John Smoltz. You know, the guy who pitched for 20 years, had over 200 starts. 150 saves. Yeah, that guy. So, just fun fact. Doyle Alexander played... (laughs) He played two more years. He played 1988 and 1989. And, oh man, his ERA was above 4.2 each time. So, uh, Doyle, sorry my man, but you kind of (laughs) sucked. 
And so, yeah, John Smoltz, let's talk about this guy. Okay, whenever you're on a team for 20 years, that means you've had a level of greatness and you've consistently performed at the highest level that long. There's something inherently that's like something that separates you there, right? Being able to perform for that extended period of time is something that's really hard to do in any sport. I mean, look at LeBron James. He's in year 17 and he's playing at an MVP level. Like that's the kind of play this guy was doing. And he was on the team for 20 years and you know, he made the change. He went from a starter to his, to being a closer and he recorded 154 saves actually. And including in 2002, he had 55 saves. So just for context, the trade happened in 1987 in 2002. He had 55 saves. So, if you're talking about, like, return on investment, oh my goodness, you give up a guy named Doyle for a dude who was a clutch starter for you and then a clutch closer who had 55 saves. So, this trade is, like, probably one of the most lopsided in MLB history. Um, I th- I will say, yeah. what? Uh, I'd rather have Jack Doyle than whoever that Doyle was because uh, <laughs> he seems like he was pretty trash. <laughs> I do remember Smoltz, he... Um, I mean, obviously, I wasn't around when he was playing, really, besides his later years. But he, I think he was a starter, then a reliever, then a starter, and then a reliever. But he should have retired after he uh, was done with the um, the Braves. Oh, yeah, for sure. He definitely should have. He played for the Braves all the way until 2008. So he was, like, he was 40, 41 at the time, and then he went to Toronto Went to Boston and went to St. Louis. Didn't really have that much success. Was in the minor leagues, so. I don't remember him on Toronto. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, That's okay. What's the uh, initial TOT? Do you know? Total. Oh. <laughs> and so I think he played for two season, two player, two teams. Mm, that makes uh, sense. In the same season, and that's that might be his total. Maybe he played for Toronto. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But. but uh, yeah. T.O.T. I think it's... The totally the Braves just... got 20 years of service from this dude. From 19, 1988 all the way to 2008. And he won the Cy Young, I believe, in 1997. Yeah, 1997 was when he won the Cy Young. And he had an ERA that was... You know, it was 2.94, but, you know, under 3 during these years is probably considered good. Um, do you know when, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not that much of a baseball historian, so I don't know when steroids were the thing and like when batters just started abusing pitchers left and right. That was the time. Okay. I'm sorry. 2.94 is really impressive. Uh, especially yeah, in 1997. I mean, he was part of that amazing core of pitchers that the Braves had at the time when they just won, uh, NL East after NL East after NL East, it was Smoltz, Glavine. Maddox. It was just those three pitchers dominated. And obvious. once again, I never got to see it. Unfortunate. But, you know, reading about it, seeing their stats, seeing the highlights, it seems like that was a great time to just watch baseball. I mean, you have people taking steroids, hitting 70-something home runs. I think that was in the 2000s. But still, 70-something home runs. And then you have people like these pitchers still thriving at the time makes you think what would they do in this baseball oh maybe not this baseball era but the period between the juice ball era and the steroids era when pitchers were dominating i wonder how people like uh smoltz would fare yeah i mean for sure plus uh okay so again this is me not knowing that much baseball but what do you get the silver slugger silver slugger award for uh, if you're the best batter at that position. Oh, so... And so since he played in the NL, I am assuming he was the best batter. Yes, sir. He got the Silver Slugger in 1997. That's a a great award to win as a pitcher. That means, you know, you rake. Yeah. Just like Zach Grinke, uh, Madison Bumgarner, those players. Like, sometimes... It's funny, actually. I saw a video recently. A little tangent. Zach Grinke was on the Arizona Diamondbacks, and then they had a catcher forget his name he is so good at defense he is the premier defensive catcher in the league but he is the one he is not one of he is the worst batter there is (laughs) but he gets so many plate appearances because of how good he is behind the plate 
he makes such a difference that it doesn't reflect in the sabermetrics yet. I mean, it does slightly, but you don't understand how this guy keeps getting jobs after job after job. And it's funny, if you look at the stats, Zach Grinke was a better batter <laughs> than that catcher. But Zach Grinke loved that catcher so much that he wanted him behind the plate every single time he pitched. And oh, this is just an interesting tidbit. Now I need to know his name. You can continue. Yeah, okay. So just, again, a little brief history over his career. Consistent all-star. Been on the all-star team at least five times. Finished first in the San Young. Uh, correction, that was 1996, the year I was born. Um, and he, you know, he he was up there in the Cy Young Award many years down the road, too. As late as 2006, he finished seventh in the Cy Young poll. So this guy was good, even all the way till the end of his tenure with the Braves. So again, the fact that you can get a 20-year guy who is a consistent all-star, uh, polls in the MVP, Silver Slugger, great, absolute great hitter for that one year, probably, <laughs> gets uh, one Cy Young and up there for the Cy Young Award many years out of his career for a dude named Doyle Alexander who <laughs> only had an ERA over four and played two more years after the trade. This was definitely one of the most lopsided trades in MLB history. You want to talk about a lopsided trade? Oh, yes, Let sir. Let me tell you. I think I know where you're the going. The most lopsided trade in the history of history. Are you ready? Go for it. Mr. Krabs traded SpongeBob for 62 cents. Oh, my God. You're bringing up bad memories, man. How could you do such a thing? You know you messed up when Squidward vouches for you. Vouches for Spongebob, I should say. <laughs> 62 cents to the Flying Dutchman for Spongebob's soul? And Spongebob was so happy. He's like, oh, Mr. Krabs would never trade me. <laughs> oh, really? 62 cents. Oh, my goodness. All right, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you. I'm just he kidding. Should, uh, no. He should perform at the uh, World Series. <laughs> Who should? Spongebob. Oh, that'd be great. But let me say what I think is the most one-sided trade, in my opinion, in recent history, but also in MLB history. And it also involves the Tampa Bay Rays, so it makes me really happy to say Chris Archer. Oh, it's between the Rays and the Pirates. I think everybody knows already. It's Chris Archer for Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows, and Shane Baz. Now... This was such an amazing trade from the get-go. And my sister and I, we were sad to see Archer go because he's such a clubhouse guy. But at the same time, he just hadn't been producing. Fun fact, I met Chris Archer at Chipotle once. That is all. That's awesome. He's a man at Chipotle. But he had always been trade talks, you know, since probably year three. Because the Rays obviously weren't going to be able to afford him. Uh, But then they had actually given him a contract, and he had taken a nice team-friendly deal, but I think it's mostly because he hadn't performed to the level at which everyone expected. In his early years, he had a few great seasons, amazing seasons, but he was all, it always seemed as if he was trying to live up to that, those few seasons. And he had the injury bug here and there, but at the same time, he always was a man of promise, and he, would, he wouldn't he would be bad. He just wouldn't be great, and that's what everyone expected him to be. He was the ace of the Rays, but every single year, it just seemed like there was another pitcher that was the actual ace, and he was the you know, de facto ace just because of who he was, but I was ready for like a trade, and I was ready for a big trade because it always seems like it was coming, and it seemed like it was coming for the last five years. But I never thought we'd get such an amazing haul. I remember thinking that the Ra- like I wanted the Rays to get uh, Jamison Tallian at the time because it just seemed like he was better. But then I looked into the stats and Tyler Glass now, uh, you know, he was younger and although he wasn't performing in the majors, it just like his stuff was nasty. And then all the underlying numbers were just in his favor. So at that point, I said, okay, the Rays are smarter than I. The Rays did more research than I, and they got this amazing player in Tyler Glass now. And this was a home run from the get-go. And when it was announced, it was just 
Chris Archer for Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows with a player to be named later. And that player to be named later ended up being Shane Baz, who, you know, he's not in the majors yet. He's in single A right now, but that dude is nasty. And when he comes up, he will be a stud. And I'll talk about him later. Uh, I'll talk about it right now. He's only 20 years old. He's currently in single A, but his stuff is amazing. Obviously, you know, he's young, single A. He doesn't have the greatest control yet, so his ERA numbers are kind of high. Um, they're in like the fours, the threes, the fours, which isn't terrible. Um, but once he gets control, once he gets control of his amazing arsenal, he'll be a great pitcher in the near future for the Rays. He, he'll think of... Think of David Price in 07-08 when he was a relief pitcher, and he was just lights out. I think that's who Shane Baz could be. He could be a starting pitcher, but I see him as this amazing generational closer, hopefully. Obviously, I'm hyping him up without him proving much, but I got to be hopeful I'm a Rays fan. Uh, but yeah, let's go to the, the marquee talents of the trade. Tyler Glasnow. Dude. This man was absolutely lights out when he was healthy. And in the beginning of the season when he was healthy, he was the leader in Cy Young for the Cy Young Award. Before, uh, If he hadn't gotten hurt, the, he, I think, would have ran away with the Cy Young this season. Now, okay, it's a limited sample size. But Tyler Glass now finished with a 1.78 ERA in 60 innings. He struck out 76 pitchers in those 60 innings, and he only walked 14. His whip was 0.86, and he didn't play against no scrubs. He was playing against the Yankees. He was playing against the Red Sox. He was playing against the Astros. Now, we know what the Astros did to him in the postseason in the second time they saw him, but, I mean, they just took advantage of him. He's a young pitcher, tipping pitches. It happens. Unfortunately, the Rays couldn't come back. I think the Rays would have won the World Series had he not tipped those pitches, had they won that game. If, they, if it was a seven-game series, I think the Rays would have destroyed the Astros, destroyed the Yankees, destroyed the Nationals. I digress. We're not talking about what-ifs. We're talking about what happened. The Rays got Tyler Glass now. This man has always been a strikeout machine, and he's, you know, in the beginning with the Pirates, he walked quite a bit, um, but he's limited his walks completely now. And I think it's not even... The Rays didn't change him in terms of his stuff. They changed him in terms of his confidence. Because with the Pirates, he had lost that confidence. He just wasn't the man that he could have been. He always had that amazing fastball. Uh, And, you know, the Rays, they develop great pitchers all the time. And when Glasnow came to the Rays, I believe he was talking to Blake Snell. And... He really, he, when talking to Blake Snell, he realized that all he needed was confidence in himself. That's how Blake Snell got the Cy Young. He, Blake Snell was always a great pitcher too, but the Rays instilled that confidence in him. And, you know, they tweaked a little thing here and there, but they developed such a great attitude and great pitchers. And so all Glass now needed was that confidence. He is six foot eight. I didn't, I didn't know he was that tall. He is enormous, dude. Oh, my Lanta, he is a spectacle, one may say. And he realized, when he, when he came to the race, he realized nobody could touch his fastball. He, his crazy fastball, his nasty curve, everything about his whole arsenal is disgustingly beautiful to watch. I love Tyler Glass now, and I love how him coming to Tampa Bay has not only revitalized his career, but it's also just a mental switch for a stud like him. And hopefully he can get a clean bill of health next season, win that Cy Young. The Rays have three Cy Young contenders on one team. I hope Tyler Glass now can lead this team to a World Series. No more tipping pitches to the Astros. Tipping pitches, I I will say, that's not cheating. The Astros just studied the pitcher very well, and he gave up four runs, I believe, in the first inning, again, in Game 5 of the ALDS, uh, which is why, and the Rays couldn't come back. They almost did. They didn't. Um... But yeah, with a with a rotation of Blake's with a healthy Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, and a healthy Glass now, oh, John Smoltz, who, Greg Maddox, who, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? The the Braves pitcher got nothing on this Rays rotation. I feel like yeah, we've been in this position before where if we have a clean bill of health, we're like we're we're there. I can see us in the series. 
So. Oh yeah. I uh, just you know we've been unlucky with those injuries and hopefully. There was a portion crossed. of last yeah. season where the only starting pitcher, and our rotation has five pitchers. There was only one healthy starting pitcher in the entire rotation. That was Charlie Morton. Yeah, that's a rip. You're unlucky when stuff like that happens. And that's not even to mention Brent Honeywell, who, unfortunately, Tommy John, all these other injuries, uh, hopefully he can come back. And if he's that fourth starter, mm, oh my goodness, this is going to be a fun team to watch. But uh, that's not even to mention Ryan Yarbrough. He's a great pitcher who thrives with an opener. And McKay. He's a way better pitcher than he is a batter. So, you know, good luck the rest of the league. Um, but, you know, stop, I'm going to stop gushing over the Rays. Just kidding. Just I'm just going to stop gushing over their pitching staff because now i got to move on to Austin Meadows. This guy, also an absolute stud. And when I say stud, he is a stud. He could get MVP votes as early as next season. Actually, just kidding. He finished 14th in MVP voting last season. Guess how many full seasons he's played in the MLB thus far? Like one, maybe? One. That's That last season was his first full MLB season. Finished 14th in MVP voting. The man absolutely rakes. And I've had the privilege to see some of his absolute bombs down the right field line. Uh were you there? I think I think I was at was... a game where Meadows went off. He was really good. Right, and you know that is a spectacle to watch. Oh yeah, for sure. This is Meadows. I think he is another one of those generational type talents if he can develop with the Rays. And so, in his first full season with the team, with the with the Rays, he hit two ninety one with thirty three home runs and eighty nine RBI. Oh my goodness! And let me tell you, he wasn't healthy the entire season. Yeah. He missed, he missed maybe 30, 40 games. And so those numbers are nasty. His on-base sat at uh, 364. And hopefully next season he can draw a, little, a few more walks. Uh, and now the, the Rays, they have this super deep outfield uh, with such amazing players. Yet Austin Meadows is at the top of all of them. Now, there are defensive studs in the outfield who, you know, I don't think Meadows could touch. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, Manuel Margot, Hunter Renfro, even Arena. But maybe Meadows could even step up his game defensively uh, because of all these other players. They can probably give him some tips. But that's not to say he's bad at fielding. He's pretty decent at that too. So honestly, I cannot wait for this upcoming race season. I cannot wait to see what he does. Glass now is only 26 and Austin Meadows is only 24. You just turned 24. Yep. I'm just Austin um, Meadows is 24. I'm just trying to, you know, so we've talked about these trades and you looked at the other side. I'm just trying to put myself in the mentality the Pirates had when they pulled the trigger on this trade. Like, what went through their head to think this was a good idea? Like, do you have anything? So, okay. You think they just Yeah, they just so I haven't Chris even Archer talked about Chris Archer like, yet. That right? good? So, essentially, so, okay. Talking about Chris Archer, this great this trade was great irrespective of Archer's performance, right? The Rays got these generational talents. The Rays got these that Cy Young contender and an MVP contender and maybe even one of the... Okay, a great reliever <laughs> for the future. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But unfortunately, his performance on the Pirates made this trade even more one-sided, right? Um... He had been showing signs of regression in seasons prior with the Rays, but he always had that promise, like I was saying before, uh, which is why the Pirates chose to trade for him. Now, I think it was regarded by the entire league that the Pirates had given up maybe a little too much at the time. Uh, just a little bit. But at the time, it just also seemed like Chris Archer was still that ace-type player. He's still that amazing clubhouse guy. Uh, and he'll always, even to this day, he still stick up for his teammates, and I think that's amazing. Um, but he's also not been healthy with the Pirates. Uh, to say he hit he hit 200 innings uh, in three of his first five seasons, and with the Rays, and uh, in one of the season in one of those five seasons he hit 194. So essentially 200 innings in four of the five seasons. Okay. But on his yeah. first full season with the Pirates, he only pitched 190 119 innings. Oh man. 
And so he hasn't been dealt a clean bill of health, right? Uh, I mean, we're also getting into this era of juiced balls. And so you see his number. He's always given up that long ball, but it just got worse on the Pirates. Um, and But, like, in those 119 innings, he just wasn't particularly good. He had a 5.19 ERA and a 1.41 whip. And there were some games where he just, I saw he had, like, six innings pitched, 14 Ks, and then they'll trot him out for the seventh inning and they'll give up three home runs. No, man. And it's like, come on, learn. You know who he is. Right now he's having trouble. Take him out. You've got you've got relief pitchers. He was seen as this player. Like, the Pirates were decent. They're always, like, decent contenders. And it was seen as if Chris Archer would be the player that would put him over that hump. And it didn't seem as if Glasnow or Meadows would well Meadows seemed like he would impact the game immediately but it didn't like glass now was seemed like he was declining with the pirates and he just had promise so and it seemed like archer had been decent and that he had even more promise now we know how it all went tyler glass now is the cy young candidate and chris archer is just having the terrible time um but it just goes to show the pirates did not develop tyler glass well at all the, he came to the Rays and immediately became a stud because of the pitching staff that they have here. The pitching, the coaching staff, I should say. And, and the pitching staff. Blake Snell gave him some great advice. And Charlie Morton. And so, Tyler Glasnow was seen as this person who was declining. He was once a top prospect, but he had played in the majors for two, three years at the time. And he just kept giving up runs. He kept letting people on base. Had a high ERA. High whip. And he would always strike people out. That That's something unquestioned. He would always strike people out. But he was never seen as this Cy Young caliber player until he came to the Rays. And then he just had those amazing performances. And he was blowing people out of the water. So that was one reason the Pirates were willing to let go of Tyler Glass now because he didn't seem very good. It seemed like they would be getting Austin Meadows and then Tyler Glass now as a throw-in. And then at the time, people thought, oh, Tyler Glasnow, maybe he'll be a good middle relief guy or, you know, a fourth guy in the rotation. No, he is a number one. He is in Cy Young. He is an ace. And that's just props to the Rays, right? Um, and even if it's Austin Meadows for Chris Archer straight up, it still would have been a one-sided trade. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, like, Shane Baz, I don't know why they threw him in. He's a great pitcher. He has great stuff. Um so, like I said, Chris Archer, he had trouble with the long ball with the Rays, and I believe they were exploited by the juice balls, exploited by the fact that he was injured. That strike up, that strikeout stuff is still there. And when you are that strikeout type of pitcher, you always have that promise. Like Tyler Glasnow, I think that's why the Rays traded for him over Jamison Tallian. Tyler Glasnow would blow people away, but he would have that, he would have issues with, you know, his confidence. Uh, he wouldn't be throwing in, you know the top of the zone because he didn't think he was, he's blowing people away. He's like, Oh, a high fastball. No, I'm not going to throw that. And then he came to the race. Oh, a high fastball. Heck yeah. I'm going to throw that. And so you just see that mental shift with Tyler glass now. And I think, uh, back to Chris Archer, he still has promise. I think he can still be a serviceable, serviceable pitcher, but you know, the, the facts are the facts. The pirates gave up far too much for Chris Archer he is, I think, 31 or 32, 30 to 32 right now. And uh, he's a free agent after the 2021 season. I'm rooting for him, but, man, the trade just did not make sense for the Pirates. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely going to go down in history if the three guys we got, you know, pan out to be amazing. And I, I'm sure they will be. If those, If that happens, yeah, this trade, one of the worst ever. The worst ever. Yeah, it could end up that way. I can't wait to see what Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows can do this upcoming season. I think the Rays are going to be great, and I think they're going to be great because of those two players. Um, I'm, I'm sad to see Chris Archer's performance, but even if he had been, like, you know, a three ERA pitcher uh, who got, you know, 12 wins he still wouldn't hold a candle to what the Rays got. And it still would have been a lopsided trade. Yeah, for sure. So, and that's literally, literally because of Tyler Glass. Now we knew Austin Meadows was going to be great. We knew he had power. We knew he was, we knew who Austin Meadows was. We didn't know Tyler Glass now, but now we do. We know he is goaded. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, um, I think that concludes our podcast. We both discussed our three trades 
is there anything else you want to add? I'd like to say, if you guys like this podcast, let us know because there are plenty of trades that we could talk about. We just went over baseball trades. We can go over football. We can go over basketball. We can go over more baseball trades. Whatever you guys like, let us know. We're willing to talk about it. You know I talk a lot. You know Sagar likes talking too. So we'll talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess that concludes this episode of the One ND Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on all the social media at One ND Cast. And we'll see you next time. Peace.